Waha, it's a me, Wario, here to introduce you to the second annual Secret Movie Club Oscar special. Oh yeah, Oscar time. Today they're going to talk about the best films of 2021. And I'd like to introduce you to your host, the only man I hate more than Mario, Craig Hamill. Me? Oh no. You have stolen my coins. Welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 99, our annual Oscars edition, where we'll be talking about Best Picture winner of 2021, CODA, uh, which actually stands for Child of Deaf Adults, and the Oscars in general, and of course this year, although you'll you'll find out in a moment, we're not going to spend tons of time on it. There was definitely something that grabbed the zeitgeist when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, but we're going to talk about the movies and the state of cinema and a whole bunch of things. Who is with us today? Hey, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the people's champion. Well, America, it's another day in hell. Talk about best pictures and how they shouldn't win. And I'm Craig, the founder, programmer, Secret Movie Club. It is wonderful to have all you guys. We reassemble after a few weeks away. Daniel went to Italy and came back. We have a whole bunch of things that we're programming and getting ready for upcoming. Let me just go through it real quickly. By the time you hear this episode, we will be hours away from, I'm actually really excited about it, a new wave 80 sci-fi double here at the Secret Movie Club Theater. We're doing the animated adult feature, although it was really geared for 12 and 13-year-old boys, heavy metal made in 1981, with a really weird who's who of voice actors, including Eugene Levy, John Candy. It was produced, Ivan Reitman, you could call this in honor of Ivan Reitman, rest in power, Mr. Reitman, and a whole bunch of stuff. And then we're following that up with a complete antidote to that, which is essentially catering to the lusty instincts of teenage boys with a movie called Liquid Sky, directed by uh, Slava Zuckerman, an expat Russian filmmaker who made the cult hit of 1983. This is a crazy movie where aliens come down and a woman who is unable to achieve orgasm has a series of sexual encounters with androgynous people as she has a sexual awakening herself about why a number of these very selfish and callow New York men. She's not having the experiences that she w- wants to have. Very transgressive. It started a whole subculture which flourished in the early 2000s. It's going to be the topic, actually, transgressive cinema and liquid sky of an upcoming podcast. And then Saturday, tomorrow, I do hope you'll come out. We have 35 millimeter prints of one of my top five John Ford films, often considered one of the greatest films ever to be produced by classic Hollywood, The Grapes of Wrath, with, I think, one of the most mind-blowing opening 30 minutes in all of cinema, shot by Greg Tolan. The Grapes of Wrath is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And then we follow it up with a more controversial John Ford pick, just directed a year later, almost the mirror image of Grapes of Wrath, a movie called Tobacco Road. If The Grapes of Wrath is somber and cinematic and heart-wrenching, Tobacco Road is a low comedy about being dirt poor (laughs) in Georgia, but I love it, although most people don't. Most people consider it one of John Ford's lesser contributions to cinema. The only thing I'll say is I do think it's actually great, and I do think it works as a nice double bill with Grapes of Wrath. You sort of see John Ford in serious mode and John Ford in comic mode, and I think they're really moving things about both. And Steven Spielberg loves Tobacco Road as well, and I'm really glad he went on the record as 
is loving it so that I don't have to stand alone on it because I also love it. But find out Saturday. As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. We have now launched our entire April and May. We're doing a benefit screening in May that I can't announce for another week, but you'll find out about that. But I will say we just announced a benefit screening for the Ukraine and we got a 35 millimeter print. I don't know how this all worked out of Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors, often considered Ukraine's crown jewel of cinema. And it's directed by Sergei Parandrov. I hope I'm saying his name right, who with two films was put basically in the same sort of stratosphere as Tarkovsky. Uh, we are showing that on 35 millimeter and we are giving all proceeds. I, I want people, I want to be unambiguous here. I'm not saying all profit. All money we make that night is going to the Ukraine. And we have partnered with the New York Collective of Ukrainian Artists, Spilka. They have a direct connection with all the folks who have been horribly displaced and affected by the war in Ukraine. And so the money's just going straight there and should get to them within a week or so. But come and celebrate great cinema for a good cause and know your money's going to help people who are really suffering right now. And there we go. A lot more to talk about it, but let's get to the main topic. 2021 Oscars Academy Awards, the best picture winner, Coda, which deals with a teenage girl who is the only hearing abled girl in her family. She has an older brother and parents who are deaf, and she finds that because she's able to hear that she really assists her family in everything they need to do. They're a family of working class fishermen. The mom is played by Mary Madeline, for anybody who remembers, was actually the lead in a 1980s movie about being deaf. Children of a Lesser God, starring William Hurt, and Mary Madeline plays the mom here. Basically, the teenage daughter, whose name is Ruby, it's a coming-of-age story. She loves to sing, which her family, not meanly, but they don't really understand because they can't hear. And she gets the opportunity to apply for the Berklee School of Music and maybe develop a relationship. At the same time, she's rightfully torn because her family starts a co-op of fishermen, and they need her to speak with everybody to run the business. That movie won Best Picture. It also also, the big bullet point is that it was an Apple TV movie. It did get a theatrical release. I confirmed that in August, but it is the first streaming film to win Best Picture. And I will share this conversation in a little bit, but I had an exhibitor I spoke to who was very frustrated by that. And we can talk about why in the industry that's a divisive thing. It did beat out a lot of movies, including Spielberg's West Side Story, Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, Adam McKay, another streaming movie, Don't Look Up. And a whole host of other pictures. And then we're going to talk about the Oscars writ large and where we are coming out of COVID, what the Oscars and the Academy mean. And we'll talk about the Will Smith slap briefly, but let's start with Coda. It's an okay picture. It's one of those feel good movies. Is this those things that you have to get a best picture win? Like I get it. They're deaf, the daughter, there's also a teenage romantic thing going on that does not work at all. It's just pointless that it should not be in the movie. I think that's a fair point, by the way. Are you describing the plot of Licorice Pizza? Shut up! The one character I liked in that movie was the... Music teacher? It was the music teacher, yes. Eugenio Derbez, crossing over from Mexico. I think he should have won the the Oscar. He should have been nominated, because he gave much performance than anyone else. Another headline for the movie, we should say, the father, Troy Kotzer, I hope I'm saying that right, he won... Best Supporting Actor. Is he the first deaf person to win any Academy Award? Didn't Mary Madeline win Best Actress? 
for children of a lesser god. She did, but I, get, I think she was he was the first deaf man to ever win. It's, it's something. I don't, I don't think it should have won. It, it's just a feel good movie. That's what it is. I yeah. I don't inherently disagree with Edwin's opinion. I maybe disagree with his tone. As <laughs> as someone as someone who watched all ten Best Picture nominees last year, this was actually higher up. I would say I found a solid half of the nominees to be unimpressive in various ways. Would you mind actually if it's on the tip of your tongue? Could you tell us what the ten movies were just for context? It was Dune, which that was my favorite of the nominees. Spielberg's West Side Story, Don't Look Up, the Adam McKay movie. Coda, uh, Nightmare Alley, Del Toro's movie, PTA's Licorice Pizza, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, Drive My Car by the Japanese filmmaker whose name I don't remember off the top of my head, King Richard, and there was one more. It was uh, Money Plane. Was that the one? (laughs) (laughs) It's always nominated every year. Power of the Dog. Why did I forget that one? Because that was like the front runner. Yeah, Power of the Dog. Jane Campion. I think everyone thought that was going to win. Or a lot of people did. Hell no, it was never going to win. I've seen people describe Coda as like a Disney Channel original movie, and I don't disagree, but I think it's like done at about the highest level of competence you could do something like that at, to the point that it, at certain points, almost transcends that. I think specifically the choir scene is legitimately really great. During the movie, for the most part, they keep you in the POV of the girl who can hear. Very rarely do they drop out sound. And during her choir recital, the way that they show the parents and specifically the father beginning to understand how good his daughter is at singing is they drop out the sound and they show him noticing how everybody else in the auditorium is reacting to her duet. I thought that sequence was especially like effective and emotional. I liked Dune and West Side Story better. Another hot take. I liked Don't Look Up about the same. Everyone, a lot of people hated Don't Look Up. The other movies I found mostly either uninspiring or borderline like bad. Yeah, Don't Look Up has, I mean, I haven't seen it, so I can't really speak more to, I've been sort of curious about the passionate reactions on both sides. It's kind of the opposite of Coda, where Coda is a movie I'm not really into that's done at the best possible, like, highest level you could do it at, where Don't Look Up is a movie on paper that I should like that's done at, like, the lowest possible. It's so messy and bloated, but on paper I should like a movie that's doing the things that it's doing, and there's stuff in it that I like. As a sidebar, I think a lot of its stuff stemmed from when the filmmakers started ragging on people who weren't liking it as not understanding it or being against what the movie is about McKay did that. Yeah, they they were calling people stupid and saying they don't understand what the movie's about and that they're against client. It was it was very it was a very weird reaction to criticism that I think then really rubbed people the wrong way. I'm honestly in, in the same playing field. I think Coda is very lovely. It's very charming. I think it has all the best qualities of like a Hallmark movie in terms of it's kind of a, a manipulative movie. Not necessarily a bad thing. I think like it knows what it's doing. It's pulling all the strings to maneuver you the way it wants to and. When it's working at its highest peaks, such as the choir scene, it's very effective. I watched it back when it was in Sundance's first like digital year. I was super stoked, and that was one of the movies that I watched. And I watched it. It was like 8.30 in the morning or something, so I feel like I cried a lot at it because I was tired. <laughs> but when I revisited it, my biggest issues with it are it's very straightforward and safe. Which maybe isn't fair to say. I have no idea the circumstances of how people get to create things. But I I really wonder if what else they could kind of do with it. But at the same time, I wonder if that's unfair because 
every ding dong white dude gets to make a movie and it can be a piece of crap and he can make more. So I think even like a, a movie that is just earnest and in my opinion, only pretty good is still an achievement when it gets to also feature underrepresented things. So it's like a weird line of stuff I really respect about it, but also this thing of like, well, I, I kind of just want, I, I, I want something more from it. Just to your point, Daniel, I watched the credits and looked it up just out of curiosity. The majority of the top line crew is female on Coda. That's dope. Yeah. Cinematographer, the leads on production design, costume design, the director, the producer. Well, the producers, there are a number of producers, but a lot of the top line talent, you know, female driven, female directed, female shot. So there were a lot of top line female women on that movie. Well, I'm females. I remember when uh, Wonder Woman 1984 came out and was getting bad reception. And there was this great article that was like 50% of superhero movies are also bad. And no one ever rags on the director because they're a dude. So I do think that's fair. Women should also be able to make mediocre action movies. Yeah, everyone, everyone should have the opportunity (laughs) to make a mediocre thing. Not the case here. I think this director is also really exciting. I was talking about when when a movie sort of has heat at any of the festivals, I sort of try to find their short films and get an idea of kind of who they are before they're put into the director's seat. The director here had a previous feature that I have not watched yet, I will admit. Tallulah. Coda had a ton of hype coming out of Sundance. It was the biggest single movie purchase ever, I believe at the time. It was like $25 million. Wow. Apple bought it. Apple's the new player in the streaming thing. And I think they're doing interesting stuff in terms of they have so much money and they're very much going for quality over quantity is what it seems to be. You know, they've got a Cohen movie. They've got these big budget series. Next Scorsese picture. Yeah. And I, I think they, they kind of have like an almost HBO ideology behind it of like, we only want stuff we think is going to be great versus just kind of Netflix Pokemon content type of we're just going to snatch everything we can get, which is, you know, to each their own. But Coda, I think, is really interesting. It wasn't my choice for best picture, but I also think when something like this happens, I try to... The one you want rarely ever wins, except for 2020, the greatest year in Oscars <laughs> history. My favorite movie wasn't even nominated for anything. So think, think how I feel. Sorry, Connor. Connor, you, weren't, you, you said you weren't a fan of a lot of stuff. And so I think it's cool that at least the one that won has a lot of interesting stuff around it and has a lot of interesting conversations around it. Because if the Oscars at their core are going to get people who maybe don't pay attention to the movie world to watch stuff they wouldn't maybe normally watch. Drive My Car took International Picture and Coda won Best Picture. If people watch both of those, like that's such a cool segue to things that maybe people will experience beyond that. Coda is like accessible in a way that I, I like that. It's a movie that wins Best Picture that I could see a lot of people, you know, who aren't necessarily film people watching be like, you know what? I did like this movie as opposed to like if Power of the Dog had won and my mom watched that, she'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, this is despicable. The amount of movies and as a teenager that my my mom would attend with me and just be like, she used to call them Daniel movies. I remember we, I took her to see No Country for Old Men and we left and she was like, well, that was certainly a very Daniel movie. Uh, and I've always wondered what that meant. And I think it just means she thought it was boring. But I think Coda, it's super charming. Everyone in it is great. I also think from like an Oscars perspective, it's a very tiny movie to have won. Like it is the lightest, like the stakes of this movie are all rooted in like family drama. There's not some subplot of death and crazy genocide. Like it's a very chill, lovely little, There's no, it's not a thriller. It's not, a, it's just like this little 
feel good gem. I was struggling with this. I, I actually went back to look at all the best pictures since 1928. And I've done this before just to remind myself to get a feel of what often wins to try to come up with a theory of the case. I liked Coda and I was really emotionally moved. I actually teared up in that scene after the choir where he asks her to sing and he feels her vocal cords. Also a great scene. Being somebody who's very family oriented myself, and also having, I have a daughter with Down syndrome, so I have a daughter with special needs, different total thing and different kind of the parents and the kid thing. But, uh, you know, I do think these themes of family and how much do you get to live your own life? How much do you have to make sure that you're supporting the family? Also, how much does the family need to come to you? I thought there was something interesting about how the mom who's, you know, she's clearly a really good hearted character, just almost dismissively doesn't acknowledge her daughter's agency and how the family takes it for granted that the daughter will sign for them. And they have to realize, well, wait, you know, we also have to meet in the middle here. You know, we, we didn't realize we were leaning on her so heavily. And I thought the movie did a really good job at point. Like I thought that detail of, I, I wondered, I was like where she talks about how, when she first started to speak, she spoke with a deaf accent because she grew up in a household of folks who were deaf. And I was like, I wonder if that's true of CODA children. That sounds like a detail that must be true that I wouldn't have even processed, you know? And yeah, and I agree with Edwin. I thought Eugenio Derbez, I was sort of surprised for somebody who's giving a performance in his second language, his ability to play a very passionate, artistic person who turns out to be heterosexual, which I thought was actually, you know, and I grew up in the theater and I knew those personalities where you would go like, I think this guy is gay and that's great. And then suddenly you'd meet his wife and his kids and you'd be like, oh, no, he's not. He's just really like sensitive and artistic and emotional. And he's a choir teacher for a guy to give <laughs> that performance in his secondary language and kind of nail it. <laughs> I was like, man, and for people who don't know about Eugenio Derbez, I'll just say real quickly. He is Mexico's most famous comedian. He's like even bigger than Beat Takashi. He is in everything from TV to movies, every single animated movie that comes through Mexico, he is the comic voice. So he was donkey and Shrek. Like, it just, you're Spanish speaking, you know Eugenio Derbez. And for him to, like, do this, that was interesting. So uh, there were points where I thought it was obvious. I sort of sensed I knew what the beats were. I wondered why this was the best picture because I tend to come at it from a formal lens too. There wasn't necessarily a lot in the formal filmmaking that I was like, this is revolutionary or this is great. But in looking through the best picture winners, often I think the Academy votes for the movie that they want to be. They vote for the emotionally moving movie or the, the aspirational movie, whatever that would be, whether it's Gandhi or Dances with Wolves or a whole host of movies we don't really talk about as much as, you know. And then I looked up 1968, the year of 2001. Do you guys want to take a bet on if 2001 was voted for Best Picture? It was nominated. It wasn't. It was not. Not even nominated. Uh, rear Window. Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, 1954, nominated for Best Picture. No. 1958, Vertigo, nominated for Best Picture? No. Psycho, nominated for Best Picture? You're, you're preaching to the choir, buddy. I think Rear Window had a better chance of getting nominated than The Evil Dead. And so I guess my point just being that the movies that are in contention for Best Picture with the Academy are aspirational films. And I think you just have to accept that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's always like the last movie they watched because <laughs> nothing from the previous eight months is ever noticed. I'm glad that it's something like this, at least, because it does feel like an accessible movie at the very least. It feels like a movie that 
that people can sit and actually like as opposed to like a movie again i'm very glad that power of the dog didn't win because i feel like that would be an alienating movie i haven't yet seen power of the dog in fact just full disclosure i saw summer of soul which won best documentary and i love that but almost all the movies you mentioned connor best picture i still have to see so my question to you is power of the dog did feel like the front runner to me what are the theories about why in the end the dark horse coda was the winner I, I wasn't really following stuff leading up to it, but it, from a few weeks in, Coda and Power of the Dog seemed to be across the new sites I follow as the front runners for the victory. I don't know if there were any real surprises in terms of... Because I do think the Oscar pool game is usually... Sounds like an ego boost, but I'm typically very good at it because there is sort of a general... Toward the thing, there's like a conversation that forms that makes it fairly clear who's going to win or one of two people. And so when it's not that, I think that's really exciting. It's not my favorite movie of last year, but it's in my top five, and it won the most awards. Uh, was Dune pulled a lot of awards last night, and I rewatched that this weekend. And Dune rules. Hey, can you sing the theme song from Dune again? I wanna get Dune. I wanna get Dune. Yeah, yeah. Did that win best original song? Yeah. No, unfortunately, that went to Billie Eilish, who's, I think, the first Oscar winner born after 2000 or something now. For No Time to Die. But Dune won won a lot of the really big... The non-broadcasted ones. A lot of the big, not that top six awards that everybody usually talks about. It won editing, cinematography, and score. Which... People were recording stuff from the actual live show of the speeches that weren't being... We should probably just sidebar with this. That's the, the stupidest thing in the world. That should be a bigger story, I think. I love the concept that there is this idea that people who don't already watch the Oscars, that by making it a little bit shorter, new people are going to watch it. The length isn't the problem. It's the content. Let people talk. People watching it like want to... You know, Their peers are in the industry. Their family's in the industry. It's like a community thing. And taking away some of the most technical awards. People who watch the Oscars, they don't want to watch the awards. They want to watch celebrities jerking off into each other's mouths for 18 hours. <laughs> wow. They want to do a little bit, a little funny bit about Jesse, the Plems. They target on the Plems. So everybody knows, and we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge it, of all the storylines that could have been talked about, as everyone's pointing out, that some of the most important contributions to cinema, those awards were not even broadcast live, that a lot of people feel the Academy's lost its way in terms of the show itself and a number of things. What grabbed the zeitgeist more than any Academy a moment, maybe in the last 10, 15 years, was stand-up comedian Chris Rock went up to introduce Best Documentary and was... I guess, improvising jokes and improvised a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. It was kind of a sort of lame, innocuous joke that she was going to star in G.I. Jane 2 because she had a shortcut haircut. Will Smith appeared to initially laugh at the joke. Sort of footage showed that his wife was just not having any of it because she has a medical condition known as alopecia where she's no longer able to really grow hair. And uh, Will Smith went up onto the stage slapped Chris Rock. Everybody initially thought it was a comedy bit. No one knew what was going on, but then it quickly became apparent it wasn't when Will Smith went back to his seat and twice said, keep my wife's name out of your bleeping mouth. And then Tyler Perry and Denzel Washington, among other people, ran up to Will Smith to calm him. And then the moment went on. Now, now the reason this was controversial for all hosts of reasons is that Will Smith stayed and then won Best Actor about an hour later. And then the entire audience got up and applauded him. 
them. Now, in the the defense of the entire audience, they may have been totally out of the loop on what was going on or what had happened. Well, and also it's like as a non-religious person who goes to church, when everyone stands up, I usually do just so I don't feel like an a-hole. I think there are a lot of explainable reasons about why that would happen. We did the good, the bad, and the ugly at the million dollar, and we had a physical altercation, and the majority of people didn't know what was going on when that happened. Once upon a time in the West. Once upon a time in the West. I'm so sorry. Once upon a time in the West. We had a physical altercation at the front of the theater, and most people didn't realize what was happening because it was over, and we had a big audience that day. So, But nevertheless, memes are now being generated. Everyone's talking about this. Will Smith resigned from the Academy over it and apologized, although he didn't initially apologize, but he did several days later. I think that that moment actually is really a complex moment for issues of physicality, issues of race. A lot of people who witnessed it said, imagined if it had been different kinds of people in that situation, the reaction would have been completely different. I don't think that our podcast where it's three white guys and Edwin's almost an honorary white guy, even though he's Latino. <laughs> wow. I don't wow. think that this podcast is the forum to get into the complexities about stress and race and everything. So we're going to we're going to leave you guys to debate and discuss it. I spoke to somebody who's in exhibition. Exhibition for our audience would just mean they run movie theaters, basically. And the exhibitor was telling me they think the industry and the Academy's totally lost its way. And to give the award for best picture to a TV movie. You know, they were expressing and venting frustration that they just don't know how quickly the industry is going to bounce back. This exhibitor felt that the Academy Awards have lost their way, that the industry has lost their way, that, you know, the Academies used to be about big movies and theatrical movies and the theatrical experience and the mythology. And they just feel that's all gone now. I'm not saying that I, I agree or disagree. I thought that was an interesting frame. Uh, the Academy can uh, can take a take. You're just mad that Licorice Pizza didn't win. Oh, Kim! No, he's mad that William Friedkin changed the format of French Connection on Sunday from 35 to DCP. It's not the Academy's fault, Edwin. Anyway, the Academy can suck it now. I didn't even watch the Oscars. I was working. I didn't care because I already knew it was dead from the start. What they did was embarrassing. It was an abomination to the awards. Wait, is it a protest if you were on the clock while it was happening? Because I asked for it, because there's no way in hell I was going to watch this monstrosity. Now, what happens when this audio gets played when you win Best Director in <laughs> 10 years? I don't care. I don't care. Let, let the world hear me. I don't give a shit. If I win, I'll win. I, I don't care. I remember a time when the Academy Award used to be fun. I just realized something. I mean, this is going to come across probably as a bit of a humble brag, so forgive me. I may have been one of the last people who got to show a Friedkin movie on 35 and I had Friedkin in the audience and he was super happy. I actually want to say that Mr. Friedkin, you let me show exorcist on 35 millimeter. You did a Q and a, and you were in like great spirits. So I wonder if that was one of the last times that that happened. I don't know. But yeah, for people who don't know what we're talking about, director William Friedkin now will not allow any of his classic movies to be shown on 35, going so far as to bar even the Academy from showing a 35 of French Connection. I don't think streaming services are our enemies. And so I don't I think I care about this less than I care about the slap. <laughs> like as a take I, broadly is the Oscars. I haven't watched the Oscars in like 15 years because I think a long time ago I realized that while I care about the awards because they are for better or worse the most prestigious film awards in the world, the ceremonies are as I said earlier, a celebrity jerk off session are tend to be. And I feel like they've been that way for as long as I can remember and my suspicion is that they've 
always sort of been that way. And that I think a lot of people who think differently are maybe looking, have rose-colored glasses on for that kind of stuff. But that's just one man's opinion in this crazy world we live in. But what a man. I'm a fan, and maybe it's self-harm and should be discussed with the therapist, but I, I enjoy the awards. I, I know that they're prestigious, but I, it's less about that. It's more about the fun. It's it's fun seeing like people you may have worked with in some capacity. And, and if you're not in the industry, it feels like this gargantuan, important thing, even if it's not. I think stuff like the Spirit Awards and stuff does some really interesting work in that regard of focusing in movies that don't get the type of representation. But on occasion, there's good stuff that comes out again the 2020 Oscars is, is the peak of human life. Bong Joon-ho, Parasite. The best. Daniel transcended to the next level and plane of existence for an hour and then returned to talk about it. I'm not much of a sports guy, but Josh, our other Secret Movie Club member, Josh, and I had a party, an Oscar party. And when Parasite won, it was the most, the scream in that small apartment was, I finally got sports. I was like, oh, this, this feeling. I remember my downstairs neighbor's because I don't watch it, but I'll keep up on like IMDb with who's winning. And I remember it getting towards the end of the night and hearing from downstairs, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, what one? And I was like, oh, and then I reacted. <laughs> I screamed that type of scream that your voice is immediately gone. Like you were not prepared for it. Regardless, the other conversation point, I understand that, especially from like a business perspective where those frustrations come. But I'm in the same camp as Connor, I think. What streaming brings in terms of accessibility is really nice because while I am an avid theater goer, especially after the way the world's been for two years, like it's not an option for everyone. It was never was for a lot of people. And because of its diminishment in smaller towns, especially, it can't be offered. So I think having accessibility for people, why I would obviously love if theaters were accessible and a thing that people in other communities craved and sought after if they watch the thing regardless that's the success so i think people watching it regardless of how they do it even if i have a you know i I prefer one over the other i don't know why every generation it's hard for them to learn i think there were always issues with the academy and the academy awards i think what connor and daniel were saying is absolutely true i think there are good years there are bad years i think there are ebbs and flows there are peaks and valleys and i think the desire to look back at a time that was better You know, I'm sure people in the late 60s and early 70s were being like, oh, it's no longer like it was in the 40s and 50s. And I'm sure people in the 50s were saying, well, it was not like it was in the 30s. And, you know, and and now people are like, it's not like it was in the 90s. And it's always times we weren't cognitive of, like getting nostalgic for things we weren't around for, A, or things that because we were young, every experience felt like transcendental because we're all miserable and we want to be like now we're just maybe maybe we wouldn't have been miserable then well my only caveat would be there are peaks and valleys i think it's cyclical but i i don't necessarily think it's always the same i think the thing that was interesting to me in looking at the awards is that the majority of best picture winners are not movies that i watch a lot there are many of them are very excellent films i would be grateful to have directed any of them most of them are just not pictures that i go back to so i think it's just important to remember that like political elections like everything every now and then you get a great leader every now and then you know you get a great movie that people who are deserving and and, you know other times you don't but i would be a hypocrite if i got nominated i'd go i'd love to take my family if i won i'd go up there and thank everybody and i'd try to be grateful and you know So I'll just be Zen and Buddhist middle path about it. But I do think you can be dynamic and get better. And I do think the Academy Awards coming out of COVID, and I cut them a lot of slack because we are coming out of COVID. I do think over the next few years, I would love to see them really work to correct the things that they're rightly being criticized about because you can always get better. 
You can always get better. Can everybody shout out what their favorite movie of 2021 was? Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza! Nominated for Best Picture. How many did it take home? None. Oh, interesting. My interchangeably favorites were The Worst Person in the World, Drive My Car, Titan, The Green Knight, and I'm counting it because it was 90 minutes Burnham's inside. Yeah, I'd love to have a longer conversation about Drive My Car at some point because it's probably my least favorite movie from last year out of the 50 movies I saw, but not because I think it's necessarily bad. It's like the most anti-Connor movie ever made. It's the perfect conversation about why like personal taste doesn't make something like a negative. Like you saying you hated it is not a slight against me. It is your taste and that rules. I want to find somebody who has the exact same taste as you, but who also hates it, and have you guys, like, fight about it verbally, at least. My favorite movie, nominated for nothing at the Academy Awards, was James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. I put up on my Instagram a big list of my favorite movies, including Green Knight, Pig, Zola, Dune, and a bunch of other movies just for whatever it's worth i do mean that i there's so many movies i have to see but of the i've seen about six now six or seven of the six or seven movies from last year that i've been able to catch up with my personal favorites easily are summer of soul that's probably my favorite it just captured a moment and something and performance and excellence and things that i love please check it out at one best documentary it's about the 1969 harlem cultural festival that was all summer long and had just had like banger performances steve Wonder, Mahalia Jackson, just like everybody, any of the, the staple singers directed by Questlove. And then I was a big fan of Pig as well. I thought Pig was a little precious, but I thought it was one of Nick Cage's greatest performances. Based on the book Pushed by Sapphire? <laughs> and I thought the movie was really, really strong. Pop culture and final thoughts. Speaking of favorite movies of the, of the year, I think next year for this exact same segment I just mentioned, Suicide Squad, I'm probably going to be talking about Everything, everywhere, all at once. Absolutely. Maybe my favorite new movie in 10 to 15 years. I love it. I cannot recommend it enough. The only issue with the movie is that I can add it to the list of movies like Iron Giant and Lord of the Rings that is going to continually make me cry an embarrassing amount every time I see it. It is so good. And thank you. It's directed by Daniels, which I assume means every Daniel in the world yes so uh, you guys are on like a text chain together i'm with connor i've seen it a few times this week i had to go again i think connor and i were at the same screening by not quite coincidence but basically coincidence we talk about like freshman dorm room posters movies this is going to be one but i think everyone next year says it's their favorite movie will have a completely different reason why it is just this smorgasbord of ideas and themes that somehow all work and it should not work like the pitch for this, it should be a disaster. And it's not broy or regressive in the no. way that I think sometimes that stuff can be. It's really beautiful, and it's because it is completely genuine. Can you guys give the the log line just so folks know? It's kind of hard to explain. The trailer's really good at setting the tone and giving you like the story. It's sort of about a uh, Chinese immigrant, middle aged, running a failing laundromat with her husband. She's Michelle Yeoh. Her husband is K.A. Kwan, most known as uh, Data from Goonies and Short Round from Temple of Doom. Her uh, father, who's kind of estranged, is visiting, James Hong, while her daughter, who uh, is American and a lesbian, is becoming more and more estranged from there, and they're getting audited by the IRS. While that's happening, a bunch of crazy kung fu sci-fi comedy multiverse stuff 
starts happening. The idea being that there's infinite versions of yourself and you can tap into these and there's this threat coming. Like the best genre movies, the two stories are really the same story as it goes on and you realize more and more what everything is about. And it's just beautiful and hilarious. And it has this almost Matrix vibe to it where I'm like, I haven't really seen something like this before. I think the Daniels, they did Swiss Army Man as well. Their use of like what the film medium can do, they throw everything at it, like just sensory wise, but changing aspect ratios, like every type of like visual language they can kind of muster into it is used as visual storytelling on top of a complicated story that needs like exposition, but it works because it's delivered and written so cleverly. This movie's full of like cinema legends, but Kehei Kwan, his performance is my favorite thing of this year. I think he is... So good. If this is his comeback, he really gets like the pantheon of emotional of different characters to play, and he is unbelievable. Yeah, he. Bro. I think he's the best performance, and they should make him the new Indiana Jones. They could make something so beautiful. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play Dungeons and Dragons at twitch.tv slash Nerdhalla Tuesday evenings at seven Pacific time. I wish my dog would stop barking. I just found one of my all time favorite movie soundtracks on vinyl, Over the Edge. So that was a pretty big score. Got to thank Atomic Records for having that sucker. Oh, did, did Atomic reopen? It's been reopened, man. Where you been, man? Under a rock. And then Thursday, I'll be at the Beverly watching Rio Bravo for the first time. First Howard Hawks movie. So it should be dope. You've never seen Rio Bravo? No, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm mainly there for Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, you know, you're gonna. I, I bet you're gonna love Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo is dope. We'll see. We'll see. And I will just say that I saw Teton. I'm slowly catching up with 2021. You have to have a stomach for extreme cinema, uh, and you need to know that going into it. And, you know, by the end of the, the picture, the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes, I wanted to hit it off. It was really rough. I didn't really know where it was going. I was like, man, maybe I'm a wuss now that I'm a dad. And basically, so people know, you see a little girl, she gets in a car accident. She gets a titanium plate put in her head. That's why it's called Teton. As an adult, she's some kind of exotic dancer at car shows. She then, you realize, is a serial killer who plunges car pieces into people's ears. She then has sex with a car. She then pretends to be the long lost son of a fire chief. And it is at that moment where suddenly it becomes about, and I had somebody, an LGBT. TQ member of uh, our audience tell me that, you know, and that made it click for me because for me, that's when the movie really came alive. And they said, you know, it's about found families, weirdly, and how you can define your family. And sometimes even, you know, the craziest people can find each other in a world where before they were totally adrift. And that aspect of it, the man who plays the fire chief and the woman who plays the lead character is a really brave role. As the movie gets on, it only gets better and better and more emotional and more emotional. It's is wild through when she gives birth. In the end, I really like the picture. I had to stick with it. Someone said they watched the movie through their fingers and I was almost there. There were scenes where I was just like, oh, Oh, my God. But I got through it, and I'm glad I did. And I, I think she's a fascinating filmmaker and uh, a fascinating film. So if you can deal with really extreme stuff, it's well worth seeing. And as always, thank you, guys. The Secret Movie Club Podcast 100. Guys, 100. 
is going to be about we're each going to nominate a film from the 21st century that we think is a new masterpiece, new canon. That'll be next week. Tonight, come see Heavy Metal and Liquid Sky. Tomorrow, see a double bill of John Ford on 35, Grapes of Wrath. If you've never seen Grapes of Wrath, come see it on 35, Tobacco Road. And we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up, but I'll tell you about that another time. In the meantime, watch great movies, make great movies. You can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com and go to secretmovieclub.com. And as always, this episode was edited by Chief Creative Content Officer Connor Lloyd Cruz, who keeps this train a moving. Thank you, everybody. Have a good week. Love you, family.